everybody. This is Chris. And Kathy. We wanted to take a minute to thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate every listener and are grateful for this platform. Please help us share our vision by subscribing to our show through your favorite streaming app. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Petability Podcast. Check out our ever-growing list of affiliates and sponsors. Simply go to the show notes for information and links. And be sure to use our promo code PETPOD22, that's P-E-T-P-O-D-2-2, on checkout to receive your discount from our affiliates. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Alon Landa, CEO of MedcoVet, and I'm a proud sponsor of Petability. We decided to partner with Chris and Kathy because, like them, we want to empower all pet owners who are trying to do the most for their pets. At MedcoVet, we specialize in advanced home laser therapy for pets. Laser therapy is a safe and effective treatment for common conditions like arthritis and wounds, and it relieves pain for most conditions caused by inflammation. With MedcoVet, pet owners can perform this treatment at home while receiving support from experienced clinicians. If you think your pet would benefit from healing at home, visit MedcoVet.com, and one of our clinical experts will work with you to determine if home laser therapy is the right fit for you and your pet. Tell them PetAbility sent you. Welcome to PetAbility. I'm your host, Kathy Simons. And I'm your host, Chris Cranston. Our podcast provides interviews and information to help your pets live their best lives. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Kathy. How are you? I feel good, Chris. I feel good. I'm feeling pretty good today. It's a nice, crisp winter day here, and I'm feeling good. Indeed. Indeed. I'm looking forward to a walk with the pups a, a bit later this afternoon. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's sweater weather. Like, I got to put a sweater <laughs> coat. I'm going to put a coat on Mac today. He's going to have to have a coat. I'm yeah, gonna... totally. Totally. <laughs> well, today's topic is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Passive range of motion for Ooh. the front limb. Mm-hmm. And even though that might sound a little dry, it is uh-huh. so important, people. How do it we is, do prom or passive it, range of motion? It is really important, Chris. And it's a, a range of motion itself is just, I mean, it's it's a factor uh, in in movement, right? So if you think about it, all of our joints have to move through a range of motion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you didn't have or you were lacking in range of motion, it would make daily activity or daily tasks really difficult, wouldn't you say? Mm, absolutely. Or impossible. So Yeah, or maybe impossible. Yeah, having having ideal range of motion, a maximum range of motion is paramount to optimizing function. Right. And one of the things I was struck by very early on in my career was the fact that uh, in as a physical therapist, we were taught range of motion very early on in our education. And when I started working with various veterinarians, they'd be like, you know, do range of motion, whatever, and, and, and teach the techs to do range of motion. Mm-hmm. And I remember actually talking to a surgeon about it, and I said, well, I think the techs already know how to do range of motion. And she uh-huh. said, no, they don't. But a lot not of necessarily. Them, yeah, yeah, not necessarily. It's not necessarily a big part of the education, but there are assumptions made, uh-huh. you know, that, that 
various professionals all know how to do range of motion and in turn that pet owners know how to do range of motion. Right. And it's not difficult, but there are certainly principles that we need to abide by to, to get the most out of it. Right. Right. And the forelimb, we're going to talk about the front limb today, and we're going to talk about the back limb another day. But I think it was great to pick the, the forelimb because we had talked about this before, about um, the weight-bearing the weight bearing load of a dog and, and how uh, 60% is on the front and 40 is on the back. So, you know, the, the all, although all limbs are important, you should have as many, have as much good range of motion in, in all of the limbs that you have. Right. Yes. Even if you only have three limbs or and your trunk and spine or two, and, and your neck, trunk and, and your trunk. Yeah. Um, but I think it was good to you know start with the four limbs so we can talk a little bit about how we can get that um, range of motion or passive range of motion of the front limb. I, I agree. And, and we wanted to kind of parcel it out. Right. Not be right. too, you know, too much information where it can become right. intimidating or daunting. So we're going to focus, as you said, on the, the front limb today, four limb, thoracic limb. Those are all pertaining to yeah. the animal's front legs. Yeah. And so I guess the first question we need to answer is what is passive range of motion, right? Right. So, you know, the term gets thrown around, but, um, you know, really what is the definition? And basically it's, you know, if someone, you, me, a pet owner, takes an, a limb, a body part, and physically moves or stretches that body part for another being and that being the dog cat or other is not actively participating in that motion or exercise so that's where the passive part comes in and you're taking that the joint um, through its natural motion you know you're not twisting torquing doing anything crazy because I know sometimes pet owners are afraid that they're going to hurt their pet but it's just through their natural motion of typically bending and straightening a joint gently slowly methodically rhythmically for a total of 10 to 15 repetitions and uh and yeah that that's so in a nutshell it's funny too because that we're that excuse me that we were talking about how um, your pet isn't actively participating in it, which is funny because it goes against which almost everything else we do in rehab where we try to get your pet to participate in whatever we're doing. Um, and there may be several reasons why we're having you do passive range of motion versus active range of motion. Um, and maybe we could talk a little bit about the difference between the passive and the active, Chris, just to kind of let people know, like, so when they're participating in taking their, rain, their, their joints to their range of motion, we're actually doing act- exercises, having them step over something or having them climb up on something or uh, go around something to, to get that range of motion, actively participating and getting active muscle contraction while they're moving. Right. And and with active range of motion, you get more bang for your buck, right? So right. Right. like you said, you're engaging the muscles, teaching, <clears throat> excuse me, teaching uh, the, the body's connection between the nervous system and the muscle firing, you know, so mm-hmm. we call that neuromuscular education. And um, I think that if that is possible, that is ideal because yeah. of those reasons. When one of the big leaps, again, for me as a physical therapist was typically when we would have a person do active range of motion, we would say, Kathy, can you raise your arm up over your head? 
Well, we can't necessarily do that with our our pets. They have no clue. So we have to trick them, if you will, through these, you know, exercises or activities, as you mentioned, to get the desired movement. And that's where the creativity comes in and it becomes fun and so forth. So, but as you said, there is a place for passive range of motion as well. Right. And I think that one of the, the things I, the times I use it most or, or two times I think that I use passive range of motion much most is during massage, particularly with my senior patients, I like to move their joints for them right through their range of motion. Gives me a sense also of how much range of motion do they have, you know, when I'm doing right. that. Is there a limitation? Then, right. If, do they have any limitations? Um, and post-surgery, you know, because the animal may not be able to uh, bear weight yet, you know, on their limb, maybe they had surgery and they're not supposed to put, you know, a lot of weight on that limb yet. And, and then I'll take it through their range of motion. I don't want them to lose any range of motion because as we talked about, it's so imperative. You know, if you think about yourself, you know, when you're going up a flight of stairs, you have to bend your knee, right? To get up that flight of stairs. But what if you couldn't bend that knee? What mm-hmm. if you couldn't bend it? And then it's straight, it would make doing stairs, you know, very difficult at the least, and Same potentially dangerous. And dangerous. <laughs> and and you have to figure out how to do it and you use or substitute other parts of your body. So right. if if you have like this peg leg and you're, you know, leading with one leg um, up the stairs, you know, the, the leg that can bend all the time, what is that doing to your back and, and other parts, you know, of your, your body? So right. yeah, really really important. I think also that um given a choice or, or I don't even know if it's a choice, but through natural activity, oftentimes the range of motion isn't, uh, what do I want to say, maximum. So when we function, we're typically operating, and so are our pets, in kind of that mid-range of motion. So ha- getting to the ends, either end of that range of motion, fully bending, fully straightening, is not necessarily accomplished through exercise or activity. From activity, right. Right. So, you know, we can ensure that we are bringing the joint through that full range passively. And there's another category in the, in the human um, realm um, that that we can employ in in the pet realm as well. And that's called active assistive range of motion. So I'm sure that, Kathy, you've experienced when uh, maybe you're trying to get a dog to open up its leg and extend the hip. So bringing uh-huh. that back leg, for example, near, you know, back towards its tail. And, you know, you give a little like belly scritch, you know, a little uh-huh. tummy tickle, and the dog will naturally kind of open up that leg if they love belly rubs. Yeah. And then you just push it a little bit more to achieve more motion. So they start the motion actively, but then you assist to maximize that full range of motion, what whatever they may have. And yeah. so that's active assistive. So yeah. I hope that's clear to our audience. Well, yes. And th- I think it is because I think we've all done that where we've been scratching our dog's belly and then they extend their back leg out and they go kind of into a stretch. Mm-hmm. And then the owner always follows that with, are you having a good stretchy? Because that's what you should. <laughs> in an English accent. In a, yes. In an English accent. Are you having a good stretchy? It's, it's important to make sure that you acknowledge the stretching. But um, I think we've all experienced that, right? That where the, where you're maybe just scratching your dog and then they stretch their leg out because they're comfortable too. They're comfortable and they're getting belly scratches and uh, they feel that they can just sort mm-hmm. of stretch that leg out. So, yeah. And again, like take that. advantage of that, right? Take advantage That's, of it. Exactly. Yeah. It's an exercise. You've, you've done, now you've just done it. You've done yep. exercise. So, Absolutely. Uh, so 
why don't we talk about some of the benefits before we get into the mechanics, you know, I think, and just talk about um, how using or how doing passive range of motion um, improves uh, joint motion. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So many benefits that maybe aren't recognized until we point them out. So, yeah. yeah, So we've talked about, you know, again, maximizing the range that that joint goes through. So most of the time it is a bending and straightening, but there are other um, secondary motions that occur as well. So if there is uh, a restriction or limitation, we want to try to coax that joint back into full range, or at least Mm -hmm. as much as we can get. And that's one of the things that we do as rehabbers, right? So we use a tool called a goniometer to measure baseline angles of the joint. And then through time, by doing such things as active and passive range of motion, we continue to measure and assess and see if we're making gains. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, oftentimes, it's not too much and you you know work and you've made gains but then there may be a plateau it may not be normal range of motion per you know textbook normals research normals every breed and species may have a slightly different normal for their Mm -hmm. their range but it's that dog's normal and you know maybe restricted by arthritis or or fibrosis or you know which is injury yeah scar tissue injury that you know you're not going to gain anymore but you at least want to maintain what they have what that maximum that they can achieve is i think i agree with you chris i think you're going to find that maybe um maybe even in the same breed uh, depending on what that dog's life has looked like uh, so if you have two labs um, and their their range of motion um, in their wrist may vary, it might vary, right? But it's important to maintain what we have because of the function. It's it's key to to function. And and one of the great benefits to doing the passive range of motion is it facilitates um, the health of the cartilage of, mm-hmm. of the jaws uh, joints, right? Right. So um, and that's. It's really it's really important. Do right. you want to explain a little bit, Chris, a little bit about why? Uh, why that's important. Well, right. And, you know, let's remind our listeners that uh, cartilage is at the end of both bones, like the long bones. It's called hyaline cartilage. And one of the unique and not so great properties of this cartilage is it doesn't have a natural blood supply. So it relies on its health by compressing and distracting. So I always describe to people, it's kind of like a sponge, right? So when you weight bear, for example, the fluids are pressed out of that cartilage. And then, you know, you take that next step, your the leg is in the swing phase, mm-hmm. and that sponge goes and kind of sucks up those nutrients and fluids and things to keep it healthy. So Very efficient. Cart- yeah, it's very efficient. <laughs> so the so the cartilage really relies on compression and distraction. That's one of the things that I really remind owners is the benefit of taking that joint through its full range so that all surfaces get milked. Mm-hmm. All surfaces have compression and distraction. So we have the health of the joint itself, of the cartilage, the bones, et cetera, but we also have the health of this, what we call soft tissues around that moving part. So mm-hmm. ligaments, joint capsule, tendons, muscles, and those are, you know, shortened and lengthened as that joint goes through that passive or active range of motion. You know, as far as like diminishing swelling, mm-hmm. uh, when you, you know, move a 
joint back and forth, if there's stagnation there and there's, you know, swelling that's either obvious or oftentimes less obvious around maybe an injury, right? So one of the uh, signs of inflammation is swelling and it may not be so obvious, but if you can move that joint back and forth, then those tissues, as you said, kind of flex and extend and and shorten and lengthen, and that pumps that abnormal fluid out of there so that the body can process it through its natural systems, you know, the organs and such, and expedite healing, pain control, et cetera, by getting that bad swelling part of inflammation out of there. And that that is also a factor in preventing that pain and stiffness, right? Um, so if you have osteoarthritis um, in your joints and you and you move it, and it may be uncomfortable to move it at first, but once you start moving it more and more, you feel a little bit better. Um, so I think that there's a the passive range of motion is good for that helping with pain, but also with stiffness. And I'll add it in when I'm using it, doing it with with patients as a part of my massage. So I'll massage a patient, and and as I'm going through their body, I will also take their joints through their range of motion as well. Uh, passively mm-hmm. and you know and then one of the things I, I think I see people come in uh, sometimes who have been told to do uh, to do passive range of motion and it's called they call it bicycling right um, but I think that you and I talked about this first of all when your dog rides a bike then you can call it bicycling okay second agree <laughs> second um, it should be done slowly I think we talked about this already it really should be done methodically and slowly taking it through the range of motion it shouldn't be fast like you're pedaling a bicycle. Right. Because that's really what I think be done of. Slowly. Yeah. Yeah. When I it shouldn't when be I, like you're trying to stay up and like, oh my God, I pedal a bicycle and I fall over. Right. No, it should be done in a slow manner. Um, and each each joint, if you can do each joint individually. So in the front limb, the wrist, the elbow, the shoulder, right? Yeah. Because too, Kathy, I think that when, you know, like you said, the connotation is bicycling is a fast motion, but yeah. also if you are moving all of those joints simultaneously as you would in riding a bike, uh-huh. then you might miss something because, you know, there's, there may be great uh, gross movement, if you will, because the hip and the knee are moving fine, but you don't realize that the the ankle is not moving as well. And I use the example with the back leg because that's what I think of, you know, our legs with bicycling, but you, you know, potentially, you know, bicycle the front leg too. And again, you might miss that the elbow is stiff, you know, in doing that whole limb simultaneously. So, you know, check, doing a check-in, you know, with each joint individually, as, as you said, I think is very, very important. Thorough, more thorough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I know we touched on this already, but um, again, it's just, being able to have that full range of motion is it's ideal for function, right? It's so important to function. Um, so we should probably talk about like what what it means for the overall health and well-being of your dog to have or for owners to be able to take their dog's limbs through their range of motion to kind of see what's normal for their dog. Right. I always use the term a barometer. So if you regularly get your hands on your dog and take the joints through the range of motion, I hope that you would be able to note changes, mm-hmm. maybe even very subtle changes over time. You know, maybe the dog is seeming more uncomfortable because oftentimes um, a little bit of discomfort or pain reaction can be indicative that something's happening in that joint or in that surrounding right. tissue. Right. And you might 
you know, catch very early that, that they're having a problem and starting to lose some range of motion. And so, mm-hmm. you know, get them to the vet. Let's figure it out. You know, what, what, can, we, What's yeah, going what on? can we do yeah. about it? Yeah. Yeah. As, as therapists, we have the luxury of having the ability to measure those, those um, joints, you know, and, and then we can measure them again later and see and compare and see if there's been any changes. But I think that owners are really good at picking up even subtle changes in their dogs, you know, but very <clears throat> oftentimes before, I've even measured. Sometimes people will say, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't, you know, this isn't what it was like before. Um, and so again, that's really important because are we having so- something happening at that joint? Are we having osteoarthritis? Are we having a flare up? Um, or we have an injury to that joint when we've, when the range of motion has changed like that. So that's important for the dog's overall, you know, health. Right. Absolutely. And when it comes to the front limb, um, I think that that owners may notice that their dog is tripping more when they start mm. to lose some range there because they have to be able to to bend the wrist and the elbow um, to clear, you know, so whether it's on stairs or, or stepping over something or simply just walking along, you know, if they're walking very, you know, stiff-legged, a uh, subtle change in the terrain, and a little bump in the sidewalk could cause them to trip. So, you know, that's something to kind of look for too. It could be many other things, but maybe they're, they're getting a little stiff or it's uncomfortable. So they're choosing not to bend that yeah. that body part and yeah. again that's where we would come in because maybe it does hurt to bend it when they're up and functioning and weight bearing but if you have your dog relaxed and they're not bearing weight and you take that joint through the range maybe it is more comfortable so again it's a way to maintain and or restore that full motion that they aren't capable of doing on their own because it hurts yeah and i think i see this uh, primarily in our dogs that are aging you know, um, and maybe they're less active. Maybe they're not going as, you know, on as many walks or they're kind of reluctant to move because they have some kind of arthritic process, uh, arthritic, or sorry, <laughs> osteoarthritic process happening, you know, at, at one or multiple joints, right? So um, <clears throat> taking them through their passive range of motion, please make it feel better, you know, mm-hmm. you know to get it to move like that. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And after surgery too, you know, after a surgery of a joint is a perfect time to, to, to uh, do that range of motion, right. that passive range of motion. And that's a lot of times where I hear the vets actually prescribing, you know, passive range of motion, mm-hmm. um, not only to us as a rehabbers, but also to the owners. And, you know, as part of the team, you know, we're all in that team uh, together. Mm-hmm. You know, if the owners can do this as well, you know, mm-hmm. one, two, three times a day at home, again, the progress is going to be exponentiated and you're going to get, you know, results that much faster versus, you know, one, two, three times a week, you know, by a professional. And, uh, you know, I I thought of some back limb uh, functions that that may uh, really bring to light the importance of of range of motion just in general. So Mm -hmm. imagine if if you ask your dog to sit, you know, they always sit before you put their food down or before they get a treat or what have you. If they can't bend their knee to sit. Can't how, are they, how are they going to do it? So that <laughs> leg, yeah, the leg comes out to the side, <laughs> yep, and they keep it more open. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're shifting onto their opposite hip. There's a number of accommodations that, yeah. that can happen. And in the front limb, similarly, if the elbow can't bend, when they lie down, they will lie with their, their front legs 
out more toward their head, yeah. more extended. So that elbow isn't tucked back under them and, and burying that weight when they're lying in a, in a tummy down or sternal position. Mm-hmm. The other thing is like with doing activities such as jumping, you know, this may be like a younger athletic dog and, you know, owners, you know, may say, gosh, you know, they're in agility and they're, they're hitting the rail and they never did that before. Well, Mm -hmm. maybe there's a loss of motion somewhere or, you know, gosh, they missed jumping on the bed or they missed, you know, jumping into the car. If they can't open up the joints and gather and, and get that, that power and extend, you know, especially in those hips, uh, mm-hmm. then, then they may falter, you know, they may have an accident and, and cause, you know, an injury. So, you know, I guess we just can't minimize how important um, full range yeah. is for function. Yeah. And if you think about it, just from like, as you're talking, I'm thinking about my dog's day, like how would his whole day look like if he didn't have, full range of motion of, of his joints. You know, he gets up in the morning um, and he walks around the house. That would be difficult. He has to go down a flight of stairs. That would be difficult. We go for a walk. Sometimes we're up and down off the curb going, that would be difficult. And then coming back in and going up the stairs would make all of that would be very difficult. And then imagine all the compensatory stuff that's happening because our dog has to change our, his gait and his posture uh, because he can't flex either his wrist or his elbow or his knee. So um, it's imperative for function you know, to have good range of motion or maximize your range of motion. Those are great examples, you know, bringing Mm -hmm. it to what we call the ADLs, right? Activities of daily living of your pet. Um, And as you were saying that, I was even thinking too, like simply getting in and out of their dog bed or on and off their dog bed, or my dogs are constantly up on the couch, you know, and if they couldn't, you know, if you're noticing, geez, my dog's spending a lot more time on the floor. Why is that? You know, it could be a range of motion issue, you know, maybe they can't get up there. Yeah. Yeah. So want to talk, want to get into the mechanics a little bit. It, you know about uh how you do it in general how we the positioning to get uh owners doing it their own at home yeah yeah, yeah. Let's, and let's i describe think the how to's yeah the how to's i think that you know we always we always um talk about the um, the fact that it's important to you know have this discussion with your veterinarian before you do these things right before you start doing some of the things that we talk about massage range of motion active range of motion things like that passive range of motion is very, I mean, it is passive. However, there are some circumstances where you may not want to do passive range of motion. And sometimes those things include things like, you know, unstable fractures, or I don't know, I can't even think of that, you know, cancerous processes, maybe in those joint, you know, joints, elbows, or wrist or shoulder. So check with your vet first, right before you start doing it. But once you get the green light, it's actually really easy to do, right? It's very simple. And I want to tell people too, because again, pet owners might worry, you know, that they're going to hurt their pet because they are not professionals. They've never been, you know, taught how to do this specifically, but your pet again will give you an indication. Oh yeah. No. So you talked about an unstable fracture. If you tried to move, you know, that limb through a range of motion, first of all, they probably wouldn't even let you near it. And secondly, (laughs) as you move it, you know, it's going to hurt. So they're going to, they're going to, you know, so we always talk about Kathy listening to your pet, right? Listening Um, to your animal. And again, that's not to say don't check with your vet. I absolutely agree with that. But I also don't want there to be a fear that they're, that you're going to do something that could potentially hurt them, be injurious, because it is, it's one of the most basic and benign things that you can do to help your pet stay healthy and and well right and it's and again simple it's it's a simple thing to do so yeah let's get down to the how-tos okay yeah so um generally you want to we talked about 
go through methodically each joint. Right. And I will suggest to people, you know, start at the top or start at the bottom and just kind of work your way up or mm-hmm. down, depending on the case. Let me, let me ask you this. Where do you position yourself when you're doing passive range of motion? Do you like to sit in the front? Like I, you have to, the dog needs to be laying down Ideally, to be able to perform yes. the passive range of motion. So they have to be in a lateral position. And that's the first question owners get. They're like, I don't know if I'm more comfortable push, putting myself in front of the dog or behind the dog <laughs> when I'm doing it. I would say for me, I always like to be behind or on the backside of the dog because I feel like I have more control. Uh So just by being in that position, and hopefully your dog is, you know, comfortable, and we'll talk a little bit later about ways to promote that comfort, but but, you know, yes, you would have to lean over the dog a little bit, so if the dog is sketchy about that, then you might want to be on the other side, but what I mean by control is just being there and reaching kind of across your dog's body tends to keep them in that lying position. Right. If I'm down at their toes, then they pop up, right? Uh-huh. They can easily kind of get up and, and the reason we want them lying down, we hadn't really talked about this, but we want them to be as relaxed as possible right. to not be engaging those muscles around that joint and, and creating tension. Um, so we want everything to just be, you know, nice and, yeah. and easy and free moving. So non-weight, you know, non-weight bearing. Yep. We don't want the, we're not engaging the muscles and we're not right. engaging the muscles in that kind of way. Yeah. But having said that, let's say your dog won't lie down. Every time you approach them when they're lying down, they get suspicious and, and you know, they want to get up and, and move away. But if they sit comfortably in front of you and you're working on their, their front leg, you could potentially pick up one of their front legs while the other mm-hmm. one remains on the ground and work on the toes, the wrist, the elbow, the shoulder. Again, not ideal, but better than nothing. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely would say sitting because then their weight is on their rump and shifted back. So you can manipulate that front limb a little more easily and have them be more relaxed. Yeah. And I agree with you. I like to position myself behind the animal. So the animal's laying down and I'm just behind. Typically, so for the front leg, I'm just sitting like behind the shoulders, behind the neck Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and the dog's mm -hmm. in front of me. And again, you know, you have to read the patient um, I want them to be relaxed, right? So sometimes I'll start with just a little touching before I start actually going right into the passive range of motion um, just to, to get them relaxed and, and let them know I'm touching them, but my intention is not to hurt them. Um, and then, Chris, let's talk a little bit about your hand positioning. Do you want to talk about going from the toes up or the shoulder down? Well, let's go from shoulder down okay. since we're on the back side of the dog. I will say we have a mutual patient, Mr. Trio. He, oh, yeah. he is long-legged. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes I do have to move around, you know, if, if, he, yeah. if I, cause I can't reach those toes, you know, yeah. <laughs> they're too I far know. away. I know. So, <laughs> you know, if you have a great Dane or a really, you know, large dog, you may not be able to reach all joints. So of course, you know, make, make those changes as, as necessary. So one joint uh, of the forelimb that we often don't think about is what's called the scapulothoracic joint. Basically, that's the shoulder blade, the scapula, moving on the ribcage. And that is imperative for full motion of the front limb. I know in people, I'm not sure you may know this in, in animals or dogs, Kathy, but in people, 
the ratio is that for a person to be able to raise their arm above their head, the scapula has to move one third, is, is responsible for one third of that motion by sliding on the rib cage, whereas the ball and socket joint, the shoulder joint next to that is responsible for two thirds of that motion. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're, shoulder blade was stuck on your ribs for whatever reason, as a person, you'd only be able to get it up two thirds of the way, right? (laughs) And if you're a dog and you're trying to run, you can't get that leg all the way out in front like that. Um, And it should, I mean, when you're moving it to, it should glide easily. It should glide nice and smooth. And when you watch dogs um, playing or running in the park, they're getting that full arm swing right out, right? Especially when you see them get into a gallop too, like, it's on. Yeah. <laughs> move it. So it, it should be smooth. It shouldn't be right. stuck or restricted. Right. And it's not a true joint in the sense that it's, it's really that shoulder blade is kind of uh, connected, if you will, held onto the body by the muscles. And it should glide equally in all directions. So right. you probably remember the, what, they called the scapular scapular mobilization. Well, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's a mobilization, and a, and but you think about like that shoulder blade sitting on the rib cage, and you imagine the face of a clock. And mm-hmm. so I'll tell owners, like for example, when you go up toward the the pet's head and you're gliding that shoulder blade up toward the head, that may be twelve o'clock. Mm-hmm. And when you're moving toward the the foot. That's three o'clock when you're moving down the body toward their rear end. That's six o'clock and then back toward you. If you're on the the backside of the dog would be nine o'clock, but Mm -hmm. they should be able to hit all those numbers, you know, Mm -hmm. one through 12 equally. And if you note that there is a restriction, it's not gliding as well in one particular direction, then that's the one you want to emphasize a little bit more. You want to gently nudge and hold that shoulder blade in that restricted uh, direction and see if you can't stretch out those tissues. Because remember, again, we said that it's basically what are the soft tissues and they have the ability, they're elastic and they have the ability to change over time. And it's such a feel good exercise. Right. Yeah. Isn't it? I think I, I, I rarely have a dog resist me in this, this type of movement because it feels good. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I'll even do a little traction on it. That's, but that's what we, when I have the luxury of being able to do some of these joint mobilizations, but scapula mobilizing or moving or range of motion of the scapula is very simple. And I think what we could do, Chris, um, is maybe I'll use uh, Mac as a demo. I'll take some pictures of, uh, of us doing that with Mac. So sure. we can post them so that people can see what the hand position looks like. Right. And I was going to describe that because basically you want to use both hands and you're, you're just kind of pushing back and forth between your hands at, at all those angles and and sliding it on the ribs. And one direction that I typically note is the most restricted, especially for older dogs uh, that may have a rear end injury because they've thrown more weight forward. They're, they're putting so much weight through their front limbs and weight bearing that it tends to to glide that scapula up, okay, Mm. toward their spine or toward the ceiling when they're standing. And so it gets very tight because the body will accommodate to the position that it's given. And it gets very 
tight then to go the other direction, which is pushing that scapula down towards its foot. So you that's one I really tend to assign to owners is gliding that shoulder blade toward the floor, toward their foot, capture, finding that angle. It's kind of a sharp angle right mm-hmm. next to their, their spine. And you have kind of a flat hand. You use, you know, a, a broad surface of your hand and you and you gently push down. You mm-hmm. know, they're lying on their side toward their front toes. And then from there, we're going to move down from the scapula down to the shoulder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or the glenohumeral joint is the, the technical name. Important to know about the shoulder is that it's a ball and socket. Mm-hmm. And so it has a lot of potential range in many planes of motion. Right. We tend so, to emphasize forward and backward, right? right. From, yeah. from the head back toward the belly. Yeah, and some joints, yeah, some joints only flex, only have that flex and an extension, but the shoulder is special. Right, right. It is special. And, and, but for function, it is the front to back that is the most imperative. Mm -hmm. That is called the primary motion. And then in and out or ab and adduction would be secondary. Right. And rotation in and out, internal and external rotation, is another secondary motion. So I'd, I think that maybe the hip and the shoulder are fairly equal in terms of both being a ball and socket joint and right. having the most range of all joints in the body. Right. And Chris, can you just sort of let the audience know, what, you know, we just talked for a second about how some limbs um, will flex and extend. And um, some joints just flex and extend. and But the shoulder and the, the hip are a little bit different because they're a ball and socket. But can you explain that ball and socket? Why is it important for that for it to move in those directions? It's like what what position are dogs getting themselves in that they need that rotation or abduction or internal rotation or, or external rotation? Well, I think there's a lot of just normal activities that require those secondary motions. One would be turning a corner. Okay. So the, the limbs have to, you know, kind of be in and out and rotating as they're walking in a curved line, going around the corner. Um, The other would just be simple things like getting up and down from the floor. You know, if they're lying on their, their side, they have to get those limbs under them. And how mm-hmm. do they do that? They have to, you know, rotate and and move in and out. You know, it's not just a, a straight uh, forward and backward motion. So. All right. Well, what's a, what um, do you want to talk to the audience about what your hand placement would look like for doing some of these motions with the shoulder? Sure. So as we move down the limb, generally you want to think about stabilizing or holding relatively still the segment that is above, meaning more toward the body, technical term is called proximal segment, of that joint, and then moving the segment that is distal or farther away from the body. So in this uh, example, you might have your hand resting on the dog's shoulder blade area, Okay, that shoulder girdle. And then that first segment below that shoulder girdle is called is the humerus. And you would move that segment forward and backward while relatively stabilizing the shoulder blade area. So does that make sense, Kathy? It does. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm going to move down to like 
you're, you're going to do a similar thing with the elbow because we yep. want to go above and below the joint. So we're just right. going to have our hand placement above the elbow. Right. And just below the elbow. Right. And um, so, I think I, w- I think I will put up some pictures, too, because sometimes clients, um, you know, ask me to identify uh where is the shoulder? Where is the elbow? Where right. is the wrist? Um, and sometimes they'll mislabel it. Like they're like, oh, it's their front knee, but it's exactly. not their front knee. It's their elbow. elbow. So, yeah. Um, and I think that's important to, to yeah. reiterate at this point yeah. is that, that their front legs are like our arms. Right. And their back legs are like our legs. Yeah. So the joint anatomy has the same terminology. Yeah. So the, one of the things that is then unique about the elbow, it's a very complex joint. So you have, again, that upper... Agreed limb segment, the humerus, it's a big thick bone, relatively short, but then you have two forearm bones that come up and meet that humerus at the elbow joint. And it's a very, what we call congruous joint. There is not a lot of motion there or shouldn't be except for front to back bending and straightening. So if you notice that your dog has a lot of angulation in or out or rotation or torsion at that elbow joint, that's not necessarily normal. It may be something that can be addressed or it could be confirmational, but generally the movement, the movement is front to back bending and straightening. Uh Yeah. And when you straighten it and let's go back, actually let's regress back to the, uh, the glenohumeral or shoulder joint. Generally, what I tell folks is that normal extension or straightening of that shoulder, you can get that forelimb pretty close to your dog's nose without much effort. And again, every dog is different, you know, so you need to get that baseline. And then when you go back, allow the, the limb to bend, but that elbow should come up just right alongside their ribs. You know, um, not excessive, not way back up over their spine, but, you know, just, you know, kind of parallel to the to the ribs. So you're going forward and backward when it's when it comes to the elbow joint, the elbow straightens almost fully. Normal mm-hmm. is about 165 degrees. If you think 180 is is completely straight. So it's almost mm-hmm. straight and then bending. It bends to about maybe. 35, 40 degrees. So a very acute angle. And you also want to compare sides because again, you're, you're trying to learn your dog's normal, but you know, if it's bending way up, you know, let's say to 20 degrees on one side, and then the other side is stopping at 70 degrees, there's a pretty big disparity there. So that's something that needs to be noted. Why is that? Which one is normal? You know, and if if we if we go back again to talking about our dog's daily lives, right? How important the elbow is (laughs) is so important. Uh, Again, uh, traversing different terrains, uh, ups and downs, in and out of the car, up and down stairs, up and down off the furniture. Uh, And you're right; it's a very complicated it's a very complicated joint. Um, Mm -hmm. Probably out of all the joints, probably the I would say probably the most complicated. Right, right, and the most likely to lose range of motion in a way, but certainly if that range of motion is lost, it's the most difficult joint to restore range of motion. Hands down for people, hands down for people. Very difficult to get range of motion back. So a friend of mine who's in agility, her her dog uh, recently had a very complicated uh, elbow surgery. Uh And, uh, you know, I was talking to her, I'm like, you, we got to work on that, getting Uh that that motion restored because it's going to be tough. Mm-hmm. It's going to be tough. Right. Um, so let's move on down to the, uh, the wrist or what 
it would be called the carpus, but typically if you're looking at it as from a human perspective, you would call it the wrist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Lots <laughs> of little bones there. So many little bones. They're so cute and there's so many. <laughs> right? um, but again, super important uh, for range of motion. I see some dogs in therapy that have uh, hyperextension of their wrist or osteoarthritis of the wrist. Um, and it makes it difficult for stepping over things. It, it makes it very difficult for stepping up and down over up the curbs, up and down over things if you're on a walk. Um, and um, same thing with the toes. But I'll, I'll let you talk about the wrist first before I tell you my toe story. Well, when you're talking <laughs> about the wrist, I, I remembered our conversation that we had with the, the folks at OrthoPets. And do you remember uh, when Martin said that on the East Coast, one of the uh, largest... Um, injuries for which people were seeking braces was for that carpal hyperextension. What are we doing on the East Coast? That's I don't know. Carpal hyperextension. But, but, I, but I think that a lot of times that is caused by jumping down or off things, mm. you know, out yeah. of the car. Right. You know, we have a lot of stairs here. It's a very hilly mm. terrain. And so, you know, all that pounding and, and impact, um, you know, can certainly um, cause that, that issue. And Again, hard to diagnose. Um, yeah. Sometimes they need like a stress x-ray or whatever. But if you got your hands on your dog regularly and you notice, wow, because the wrist should go a little bit uh, farther back, a little bit straighter mm-hmm. than just straight. Okay. So it yeah. hyperextends just slightly, just slightly. Oh, yeah. That's normal. Yeah. But if it, you know, again, one side goes way back and the other side doesn't, hmm, mm. could be an issue. Um, it should bend almost to the point where the toes touch the, the forelimb. Okay, that's somewhat normal. Not quite, you know, some dogs may, may get their toes to their forelimb. Other dogs, it may, may not quite be there, but um, it bends quite a bit. And then there's also a little bit of motion side to side, which we call varus and valgus. Uh-huh. So when the, the paw, if you will, at the wrist uh, turns out as if they are kind of duck-footed, uh, then that is a valgus position. And if it turns in so that they're pigeon-toed, if you will, I don't know why I'm using all these bird analogies. We call the, uh, the valgus, we call it easty-westy. One's pointing to the east, <laughs> one's pointing to the west. Well, there, you, there you go. There you go. But, but, you know, again, that can be part of a normal confirmation or what have you. But if one moves a lot farther um, in either direction, and that movement is very minimal. So mm-hmm. the, the wrist joint primarily moves up and down, bending and straightening, yeah. forward and backward. Not a lot of side to side or rotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? Uh, for and then again for our passive range of motion, we're going to do the same kind of positioning for this joint as we did for the elbow and the and the shoulder. We're going to go just above and just below. We're going to slowly flex and extend, flex and extend. Right. Um, so, so you're holding that segment, the forearm, yeah. if you will, yes. relatively stable, and let and bending that. Lower segment, the fist, yeah, the fist, yeah, yeah. up and down, and and oftentimes I think that um, people forget about the feet and the toes when it comes to like the range of motion of the toes. And when we talked about this, you and I talked about this on another episode about how animals are um, digigrade animals and they stand weight bearing on their toes. The toes are really an important asset, and they should move smoothly, right? And um, I had a patient uh, not that long ago who was a young dog, um, and and she was. Uh, she was young then, but she was going to be trained to be uh, a herding dog or you know, she was herding or 
or hunting. I can't remember. And she, and she fractured one of her middle weight bearing toes. And um, the vets were like, eh, you know, we'll, we'll splint her for a couple of weeks. She'll be fine. And I was like, no, we need to, when she gets out of that splint, we need to mobilize that toe and do some exercises to keep that toe mobile. Because can you imagine if she's going to be um, a sporting dog, you know, she's going to get arthritis in that toe. She may not have full range of motion in that toe. Um, and that's going to limit her in her weight mobility. Shift, weight shifts weight off shifts, of that because uh, it's not moving weight shifts off of properly. it because of the toe. Uh, so I think that, you know, maybe they're like, eh, it's just a toe. But I was like, ah, what? Right. <laughs> it's not just a toe. It's a toe that you're bearing weight on. It's a toe yeah. that you're bearing weight on. So it's really important, you know, um, to think about them uh, as such. That's your dog's greatest asset is their foot. And those toes need to be mobile. They need to be pliable and mobile. Right? Yep, yep. And you mentioned, you know, going in the splint and then advocating for doing range of motion and, and right. restoring that range of motion after. That's one thing we haven't mentioned yet. We said after surgery because that's very traumatic surgery, yeah. um, even though it's a good thing ultimately the the process is traumatic and you have inflammation and range of motion is lost but also even without surgery if a joint is immobilized via a splint or a cast mm. they it doesn't take long and they start to lose range of motion in whatever is because that's the whole point right you're keeping it still but as i mentioned before the body accommodates quickly to the to the amount of motion that it's given so you lose motion and it's hard to get back once it's lost have you ever had have you ever had your arm or leg in a cast and see what it looks like when it comes out i have not well it's like it's lost (laughs) all but i have not personally it's lost all its muscle it's skinny skinny and you're stiff and you're or you're you know if you had it up to your wrist um, or your elbow moving it is like it's hard to move after that after being immobilized like that's so important to get it especially if you've been immobilized for a period of time to to get that range of motion back and and you know an immobilization can take many forms so when you talk about stiffness i think about if i've laid in one position in bed yeah. You know, like I, I'm like so tired and I realize I wake up in the same position that I hit the, the mattress yeah. in yeah. and oh my gosh, am I, am I stiff, you know, especially right. the older that I'm getting. And that same thing happens with our, our pets. Yeah. So if they, you know, and especially if you're in an awkward position, right? Like remember when you wake up and your head's all cockamamie and your neck <laughs> is like killing you, you know, that's, that's a problem. And what do we need to do? We need to like slowly move and restore that motion. And then we feel better. And yeah. if our, if our pet isn't capable of doing that on their own because they're older, they're not that active, we need to act as their surrogates. We need to promote right. that motion. Yep. And passive range of motion is a very gentle way to do that. Right, right. And the, and again, um, you know, I, could, I just realized how excited I get about feet, about the dog's foot, because I'm so like involved with the dog's foot, with the traction and the mobility and the toes and the nail trims. But um, I should be overlooked. Well, I was gonna say, I wonder if our avid listeners are sick of us talking about feet. I I love it's like the every dog. every show. <laughs> I know every show is about the foot and foot traction, but, it, but it's yeah. all about it, it is all about the foot, especially if you're a digigrade animal and you're walking on your toes, right? Mm. Um, so I'm sorry that I keep bringing everything back to the foot, but the foot shouldn't be overlooked. You know, sometimes in therapy we'll go through the range of motion of the shoulder, the scapula, the elbow, and the wrist, and we stop there. But we shouldn't. You got to go all the way down. Mm-hmm. You got to go all the way down to the toes. Right. Um, and there are and, eight, eight little bones in the wrist. Right. But 
so many more bones in the foot. I think like in the foot. I'm gonna yeah. make up something. I think like 27 bones it's or something a lot total. Of bones. I know. Um, yeah, and it's it, holding it, a lot it, of animal. It's holding a lot of animal. Like, right. <laughs> right. Right. So how do you do? How do you do your range of motion on the toes, Chris? What's your technique? Well, um, sometimes I I just gently kind of. Uh, pull them out because distraction, gentle traction mm-hmm. of the digit will promote more range. So mm-hmm. that's a, a general principle. And again, I just kind of bend and straighten, but keep in mind that the toes um, are made up of three little bones. So, you know, you, you want to make sure that you're moving at all of those articulations and the toes do move in and out and rotate, as we've mentioned with other joints. So I will put my fingers in between each each digit and, you know, kind of spread them apart very gently, bend up and down, maybe twist them a little bit. Um, but again, primary motion is, is up and down or front to back. Um, do you ever I, do this, Chris, where you just put the paw like on your hand and just have the kind of stretch the toes on your hand? Does that make yes. sense? I know because our audience can't see us, but yeah, where your, where your hand is basically acting as the floor would be yes, if they were yeah, standing yeah. up. Yeah. And I do, I I think of that more as a stretch because I'll tend to hold that if they can tolerate it. But again, if they've not been bearing weight fully because it hurts or they've had surgery or what have you, the toes will tend to curl a little bit and they'll Mm. be in a more flexed position to fully weight bear comfortably. Those toes need to extend. So again, watch your dog, look at them when they're, when they're napping, for example, and look at their foot and their toes are kind of down slightly. Mm. And then when they stand up, those toes are really extended the opposite way. So imagine if you didn't have that full range of motion, all four of those toes, how that again would affect, affect things. Yeah, I, I mentioned in another episode, and I always think of this when we talk about the feet, uh, there was a very famous continuing education course in the human world, and it was called When the Feet Hit the Ground, Everything Changes. So if something is not right with that foot hitting the ground, impacting, standing, walking, it can affect things all the way in the in the people world, all the way up through the neck and, you know, in the dog world, you know, certainly up up through uh you know, their shoulder girdle and, and pelvic girdle. So mm-hmm. starts there. Fine. As soon yep. as that makes contact with the ground, as soon as that foot makes contact with the ground. So now that we've talked a little bit about how to do it, I think we should talk a little bit about how do we get the animals, how do we get them to buy in mm-hmm. on the passive well, range this, of motion? This is your jam, Kathy. How do we this get is... them to buy in on it, right? Yeah. Fear, fear um, free, the fear free movement. We've talked a, the fear a lot about free that. Movement. Very yeah. And we had um, an episode not that long ago with with a groomer, Megan Tewilliger, and she said something I just love. She said, I I don't want to do something to a dog. I want them to participate in in this conversation. Right. So I agree. I I want the dog not maybe just let me do it, but maybe have it be a bonding experience as well, um, an enjoyable experience and certainly a fear free experience right um so i typically wait so for my dog when i do stuff like this i typically wait until he's had his until he's he's quiet so at nighttime so like Mm -hmm. around six o'clock he's on the couch we'll start with our massages um we'll start with you know the sweet talking (laughs) a little sweet talking (laughs) and then move into the range of motion right right and sometimes if he resists I'll let him move until he's comfortable again before I start. I don't want to chase him around right. because I don't want him to go, oh, God, every time I lay down here, 
she's doing this and she's doing that. Right. And, and I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. So um, I kind of listened to him, you know, about what mm-hmm. he's saying, you know, maybe I'll do one side and maybe I'll do the other side later. Right. I think sometimes uh, you mentioned bonding. If the pet gets special time, maybe away from other pets in the household mm. or people, you know, away from the kids and you go to, you know, bedroom, you close the door, you turn down the lights they know that, you know, nobody's going to step on them. They're, you know, it's quiet, it's calm. And that is such a special time, you know, for you and your, your pet. So, you know, certainly, you know, capturing those moments when they are calm and you're, you know, watching television, but sometimes it's, it's worth actually going to a special place that they know the signal is, oh, when we go into this room, this is my time with my mom and she loves me. We do this thing and I get treats and it feels good and it doesn't take, you know, a long time to do this. I mean, what would you say, Kathy, to go through, you know, maybe five, 10 minutes, a limb, um, yeah, including massage. Yeah, not, not long. Um, you know, and when I'm, when I'm doing a treatment with Mac, I actually keep our treats to a minimum because it gets him more excited. Mm -hmm. So treats are pretty specific, like to flipping over, you know, like from one side to the other, or I'll use it at the end, like to just Mm -hmm. signal, okay, we're all done. This, this is a reward as a reward. Yeah. Good behavior. You were nice and calm. Now you get your uh, treat. Yeah, I'm going to turn you on to something that you're really going to like. I have a CD called um, Through a Dog's Ears. Have you ever heard of that? No. No. It's, um, I believe the guy's name is Josh. Oh, I'd have to look it up. Leeds, Josh Leeds. And it is music that has been uh, sort of compilated specifically for dogs, right? So what they found during studies is that dogs like certain sounds. So maybe the harp or maybe the piano and it, it's all uh, set to be calming for the animal. Mm-hmm. So you've set the stage, right? You've set right. the stage. You've got um, something that, that might be enjoyable from uh, auditory, right? Mm-hmm. You've got a nice uh, music that is calming for them. Um, you, maybe you even dim the lights. So there's not a lot of visual stimulation. You've separated them from the other dogs. So there's no worry about whether a dog's going to come and interrupt your, you know, your session. Um, so you're setting the stage and you have to change your own mindset. So you have to be prepared for it as well. So when you go in and you're like, okay, you're not like me, like, oh, I got to shake my dog. Yeah. They know Frazzled. that. They know that, right? Whose dog doesn't know that you're upset? Everybody's dog's no <laughs> I don't have time for this. Come on, hurry up. Lay down. This. Exactly. And they know it, right? So oh, you yeah. have to have your own mindset. So all those things are nice for you as well. Sort of, um, you know, getting that light turned down and, and getting some of that, you know, audio of, of the the piano or the whatever you like, the harp. Uh, but I'm a big fan of this CD. It's such a nice, it really is quite, I actually enjoy it myself. <laughs> but awesome. there have been studies done on on these types of musics and music and how it affects a dog's behavior. So you can add that into your, your routine of massaging and stretching and, you know. And I think too. Having them on a comfortable surface, so right. you know, you might think, "Oh, I'll put them in their bed." But if the bed is very billowy, sometimes that yeah. makes it hard. They kind of sink 
difficult, I should say, not hard, difficult to perform the passive range of motion because they sink down into it. It Mm -hmm. may be um, constraining to your passive movement of the limb. And you also have to think about your own body mechanics. So, you know, oftentimes as a therapist, I'm on the floor with the dog, Um, you know, no matter their size, if they're small, certainly you can bring them up onto some furniture. You know, a lot of owners will do it on their bed, you know, that sort of thing. But, you know, make sure that you you are positioned so that you are comfortable because you're going to be there for a little bit of time too. And, right. you know, watch your own, you know, back and, and reaching and, you know, and, and posture, um, you know, so that you can do this over time. One of the things we didn't mention is, is warming up and making sure that, that the dog is also warmed up. So mm. you don't want to do range of motion, um, you know, in, in a cold environment, you want to, you know, have them be literally warm. So, you know, maybe even applying a microwavable heat pack to the area um, or doing, we've mentioned massage throughout the podcast and massage is a way to to warm Mm -hmm. them up or coming in after some exercise. So, you know, they've gotten blood flowing to all the muscles and the joints have been loosened through active Mm -hmm. range of motion through their walk for example. And then, you know, they're also a little bit, you know, chill, more chill and tired, you know, because those endorphins have been stimulated and then they're more willing Mm. to maybe lay down and rest after their walk or exercise versus before. Mm. And maybe you could even use some of those warm up exercises that we talked about in our episode of warm ups, you know, maybe we could use some of those first and then go into the passive range of motion. You know, the other thing that as you were talking, I thought of, um, when I do large dogs, some of the things I don't remember is that I need to give myself enough space for the dogs to get their full extension. Right? So if I have, I mean, my pug, it doesn't take up much room, but um, I had a great Dane. Uh, actually, Chris knows who I'm talking about because I just mm. helped me with him the other day. Mm-hmm. When he lays down, if, if we're up against the wall, he can't, I can't get his full range out because he's too long. Right? So make sure you have a good enough amount of space to get those limbs fully out front and back. Because yep. if you get yourself in a small space with a Great Dane, you're not going to be able to get the, the leg all the way out. No. Right. And you talked about kind of capturing where Mac is. But, you yeah. know, oftentimes I will use the treat to have them, you know, sit and then lie down. And, yeah, yeah. be smart about that. You know, do yeah. it in the middle of the room so that you can navigate all around them as well. Because you may yeah. have to, you know, if they're long leg or large long-legged or large dog, you know, move to the other side and, you know, make sure that you have room to, to be on all sides and move around, let alone that the, the pet has mm. room to move fully. So, yep. Yep. I think these are all I think it's great not ideas. Gonna be difficult. I think it's not, and I think it's not going to be difficult to get your dog to have buy-in because it's, it's special time. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be, you know, I think it's not going to be difficult to get your cat, the dog to buy in. And, you know, I have a couple of patients who are cats. Oh, yeah. Um, that I'm that, you know, we don't want to forget our cat friends because our cat friends also need to have that same type of mobility. They need to have their full functioning uh, range of motion of their joints. Sometimes it's a little harder to get the cats to sit still for that. But um, but, you know, when the same thing we said before, if you can get them in a place where they're not distracted, they're comfortable, maybe they've you know, had their bedtime snack and they've been walking around and now they're on your bed. Well, maybe now is the time to sort of get the, see if we can get in that range of motion with your cats as well. Oh yeah. I've, I've done range of motion with many a, a cat and, you know, again, you're just chill, gentle and kind mm-hmm. of sneak up on them and start with some petting. And then yeah. before you know it, you're bending their limb. And, you know, again, it's rehab 101. Yeah. Uh, you know, I watched Animal Planet fervently. And, yeah. you know, even these shows, you know, like the zoo and so forth, you know, they may have to immobilize, uh, 
you know, for an injury, a stork's leg or, um, you know, they've done surgery on a wombat or something like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, so the first thing that they're doing when they're restoring their function and getting them back, you know, into population is making sure that they have range of motion, you know, that right. again, I cannot yeah. emphasize how beneficial yeah. it is for every being movement really is, is essential. It really is. And it's, it really is. And it's not just about, I mean, when you think about it, when these, when these little puppies are born, you know, they can't see and they can't hear, but instinctually the first thing they do is move Mm. and they move to get the best place to suckle. So it's, it's, it's um, imperative to survival that they're able to move. And as they grow, having this movement um, equals uh, independence, you know, Mm -hmm. freedom. Um, So so like you said in a prey animal too, when you said survival, I'm thinking, gosh, you know, if that rabbit, can't move you know or the the giraffe that's just born on the you know (laughs) she's got to get up in like 20 minutes she's got to get up in 20 minutes to start moving (laughs) um so it's 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 important for all the aspects of life and for all 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 creatures that have movement uh to be able to move so yeah so i think the take the take-home message is that uh that that movement is good and sometimes we just need to help our furry scaled and feathered loved ones out right (laughs) and uh and so that they have the the best movement possible that's right for their best life possible so all right thank you chris it was good to see you thanks bye bye thank you for joining us we hope you enjoyed our show follow us on facebook or on instagram at petability podcast For more information about Kathy's books and living with blind dogs, please go to EnableYourPet.com. Thank you, and please tune in next time.